When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Dan and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Today, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko and I look back at the 2020 Browns draft and try to frame what we see as success for each of those picks in Andrew Barry's first draft. We're going to look at 2021 uh, on tomorrow's podcast. And then at the end of the week, I think we're going to try and draft all of Andrew Barry's draft picks and, and our expectations for them in 2022. So make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Now, also make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber because you get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every day. Access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com browns, and you can become one of our text subscribers. So all you have to do is go to cleveland.com browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page, get info, get signed up. All right, here we go our Wednesday Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And away we go on the Wednesday edition of our Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We're going to go through some Andrew Berry draft classes here this week. Uh, You know, we've talked about the rookie class this year and what we kind of expect them to contribute. So I thought it would be a good idea as we sort of have this down week to go back and look at some of the previous draft classes, what we've seen and and what we should expect from each of these players going into the 2022 season. And then I think at the end of the week, we're going to sit down and we're going to just draft all of Andrew Berry's draft picks. So a draft of multiple drafts. This podcast just keeps, it's like one of those beer cup snakes. It just keeps kind of circling around and eating itself with drafts. All right, here we go. The 2020 draft started with Jedrick Wills. So the two questions I have for most of these players, and some of them, the first question doesn't really apply, but the first question I have for most of these players is where are we at right now with Jedrick Wills as a player? And then we'll get to what we expect from Jedrick Wills in 2022. So Mary Kay, you did some pretty extensive work re, uh, kind of reviewing these drafts before the draft this year. Where are we with Jedrick Wills at this point? Well, Jedrick Wills uh, is coming off of, you know, not a great season. He he did not grade out well, uh, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, he was down, uh, I think, somewhere in the 70s uh, for this year. And that's, that's, or I can't remember exactly. I have it here in my story. Um, but that's, that's unacceptable for your starting left tackle. Now, the big problem with Jed Wills in 2021 was the fact that he suffered a serious ankle injury in week one, and he never really recovered. They had to have him in there because Chris Hubbard also got injured in that game. So they didn't have their swing tackle, and they really needed to rely on Jed Wills. So instead of having three, four, five, six weeks to recover, which is what he really needed, he kept going out there and trying to play on this injured ankle. 
And then he ultimately did succumb for a few games. Um, but for the most part, it lingered on and it hampered him throughout the season. So I'm very willing to give Jed Wills the benefit of the doubt, attribute much of last season to the ankle injury and, and believe that he's going to get better. And we heard from both Wyatt Teller and Joe Thomas throughout the offseason that he needs to step it up in the work ethic department, that he needs to throw more work at the job to get to the point where he wants to be. Scott, how much do you attribute to, to the injury? You know, he got carted off in Kansas City, and then it felt like every single week after that, it was he would leave the game. I think he got carted off again. I believe it was in Minnesota uh, when he was carted, finally carted off the field again. How much do you think was injury? How much do you think was a, a step back in performance? Because I think we all came away from 20, from his, from his rookie year, even if the grades weren't incredible across the board, feeling pretty good about Jedrick. Yeah, I think it was four games he missed, and then there was at least two others where yeah, he didn't finish. And I think it was midway through the season when we – I remember him talking to us uh, and kind of admitting that uh, that was rough, number one, and, and maybe things should have been gone about differently uh, because it did take him a while. I, I, the, Where I'm at with Jed Wills is kind of like where I was with Baker Mayfield before <laughs> – you know, everything really started happening this off season. It was like, all right, well, there was a lot of good stuff to build off of 2020, but then this past season, it's the injury factored in and nobody's really sure, like, you know, nobody can really say how much that impacted him. Uh, and so you're really hoping that you can maybe see, see him back at full strength in 2022. I think that's kind of where I'm at, like a, a wait and see. I don't think, um, again, it's hard to, to to look i think at his final grades like pff wise and say all right he just had a bad year period and i don't think anybody here is really saying that but he did have some good games and he did have some really good pass blocking games last season and that's an area where he really performed well as a rookie i think his run blocking is something that was kind of surprising coming out of college because that was he was supposed to just be a monster in that area and it didn't really happen with the Browns as a rookie, he did grade a little higher last season. Um, but I think you're hoping like he puts both of those together. I mean, he's top half of the first round left tackle. You, you want that guy to, to be solid. But for me, it's just, like I said, we're kind of what Baker was. It's, there was good. There was questions. And now you're, you're one hoping year three here of this, three years Stefanski era gives you some sort of clarity. So Mary Kay, as we, as we kind of turn it forward now, this is an important year for Jed. It, you know, it is year three, like Scott said, um, you know, look, after you get to year three, right. That's when you start to think about, well, can you eventually extend this guy in the next couple of years after, you know, they've got to make a fifth year option decision at some point here, right. After, after the fourth year, actually after the third year on the deal, mm -hmm. So right. they've got some decisions coming up on, on Jed Wills. Not that they have to extend him after this season. That's, you know, that, that can wait, but there are decisions that have to be made and, and you do need to have some questions answered this season about him. Yes. He needs to go out and he needs to have the kind of year that they expected him to have. And uh, as, as Scott was saying, his rankings, I, I just actually looked up uh, where he finished last year and it was 55th amongst tackles. That was uh, up from 71 or something like that as a rookie. Um, 
but 55 still isn't where you want it to be, especially when you compare that with another tackle uh, that was drafted right around him by the Bucks, number 13 by the Bucks, uh, Tristan Wirfs. He plays on the right side, uh, but he climbed to number six amongst tackles last season. And the reason why I think that's significant, even though they play on two different sides, is the fact that uh, right tackle these days is pretty much just as important as, as left tackle. I mean, we hear people say that all the time now. You, you can put any of those great pass rushers on either side, and now uh, people are having two excellent pass rushers because of the way that uh, this game has gone. So, uh, you know, I do think that you can look at it in context of Tristan Wirfs um, because, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, did they potentially pass on a perennial Pro Bowl tackle for Jed Wills? Now, maybe Jed Wills will live up to that. He's got an excellent, excellent offensive line coach in Bill Callahan. Uh, he's got good mentors on the offensive line. And as I mentioned before, he's got Joe Thomas, who's always willing to reach out and help him and saw huge, great things in him when he was coming out in the draft. So he has everything he needs. And if he's healthy this year, uh, perhaps he can live up, the, up to that potential. But that's what he's going to have to do if, as you mentioned, Dan, he's going to get uh, that extension, which could come after this season or if he's going to get the fifth year option or whatever the case may be. So, um, oh, the other reason why I think it's important for him to have a good year is because they're going to have a new center this year. So, and, and we don't know quite exactly how healthy Jack Conklin is going to be coming off the torn patella. So there could be a few little issues on the offensive line and not a year you want that to be the case when you have Deshaun Watson heading into his first season with the Cleveland Browns. So definitely a big year for Judd. Uh, I was looking here, the fifth-year option for – this is the third-tier fifth-year options this year. So this is players who only achieved playtime uh, criterion, so no Pro Bowls. Uh, for offensive linemen, it was $13.2 million. And, of course, as we know, as we, we're seeing the effects of that this year, that becomes fully guaranteed now as soon as you pick it up. And the Browns, the Browns have kind of been stuck with one situation there. We've seen other teams, too get stuck with situations there. So Jed's got to make them want to pick up that option because it's not as foregone a conclusion as, as it used to be, I don't think. So um, th this is a very, very important year uh, for Jedrick Wills. Okay, so let's move to the second player picked in that draft. And this one is this one is really interesting and probably a little easier to discuss than an offensive lineman. We can put some actual real numbers and, and stats there. But Scott Grant Delpit, Obviously ruptured the Achilles, his uh, training camp rookie year, got on the field last year, had flashes for the most part was behind Ronnie Harrison for most of the year. But we, you know, we did see that playing time increase as the year went along. Where do you stand right now with, with Grant Delpit? I think this class has probably five guys who are going to start this year and he's definitely one of them. So uh, we're basically looking at, last year, what was essentially his rookie year. Um, and I think with Grant Delpit though, you're really looking at like the last five games that he played. And you're thinking that's something really good for him to build off. Um, that was really when he started to get uh, a lot of consistent playing time and he just performed really well. Um, he did well rushing the passer uh, when he, when he was near the line of scrimmage, he did okay in coverage 
Uh, I mean, he did great against the Ravens um, in the first game they played. He had a 91 grade from PFF uh, in that game. But uh, against the run, um, he had his solid moments. But I think you know, you're holding him up to all the issues you had uh, that seemed to be targeted at Ronnie Harrison earlier in the year. You didn't get those at the end of the year with Grant Delpit, um, at least not to, you know, to people outside where it was so obvious. Now, you know, in the film room, they may say, hey, Grant, you really, you really messed up there, but we don't know that. Um, but yeah, I think you, you go into year two thinking, all right, uh, they made a good choice with him. He seemed to kind of hit his stride near the end of the year, which again, if you're thinking of this as a rookie year, then that, you know, that's great. He, he seemed to really kind of know what he was doing when he was getting a lot more playing time. And you want those two obviously to, to merge. So I, I would assume that he's your week one starter next to John Johnson. Yeah. Mary Kay, is that where this has to go? Does he have to be the, the starter this year? Obviously they brought Ronnie back for uh, on a one-year deal, but I guess if Grant's not starting week one, is that a disappointment? Well, I don't know if you would consider it a disappointment only because an Achilles injury is so difficult to come back from and reach that level of 100% ability that you had before you ruptured uh, that tendon. So um, I don't know, you know, I think that will always be an asterisk next to his name, but I think he showed enough flashes last season, especially uh, probably toward the end that, uh, that he probably will get that starting role. In fact, I mean, there was no guarantee they were going to re-sign Ronnie Harrison. That was almost a little bit of an afterthought. I didn't really think that he would be back. Uh, but I do think that the opportunity is there now for Grant to take over that starting role opposite John Johnson and to do all the things they had planned for him as a rookie. Um, you know, they had him playing the sort of the bigger safety and the nickel uh, they, they had him, you know, covering, blitzing, playing the run, uh, everything that, that you could ask a safety to do. Uh, he was slated for all of those roles and he was going to be in on pretty much every sub defense, whether it be again, dime, nickel base, whatever the case may be. So, uh, now they have to see if he's ready for all of that. And if he's also poised to take that big step up in his second year, which you expect players to do. So, yeah, I think there, there are big things ahead for Grant. If for some reason he's not quite exactly the Pro Bowl safety that we expected him to be quite yet, I would attribute it once again to the injury. And just kind of looking at some of his snap distribution as, as his snaps went up towards the end of the year. Um, you know, he played 75 in week four, but he didn't get back to that level until uh, week 14. He played 78 snaps and 57, 88 in week 17, 60 in week 18. And it does seem like it mixed up a little more as, as in those late games. He still played a lot of free safety, but there's you know a lot of time in the box, a lot of time at slot corner. And Scott, that's going to be interesting how they approach using these safeties in the slot this year, because that's a wide open sort of position you know they could use Greg Newsom in there they could use Martin Emerson in there but we've also seen you know Ronnie Harrison has played in the slot they're not afraid to use their safeties as their as their nickels yeah and, and remember the 
the way we all talked about JOK last year is how everybody was talking about Grant Delbert the year before. He was this hybrid player who could do multiple things and really excel in coverage. Uh, and I think the fact that he was on the field a lot uh, down the stretch had a lot to do with um, the how well the pass defense played for the Browns. When he was targeted, uh, quarterbacks were like the best passer rating anybody had. It was week 14. And that was only 84.4. Um, he was at 70.1, 47.9. So, uh, you know, having that at the back end of your defense is so huge. And we know that after watching the first, you know, four or five weeks there and, and seeing them get torched a few times. Um, but I think having him back there just, and then I think also maybe having John Johnson, giving him more of the freedom to play a little closer to the line of scrimmage. I think he talked about that too uh, as the season went on and how he was kind of adjusting new position. Um, so you got two guys who I think maybe understand the best, the best way to get the best out of themselves. Joe Woods, I'm sure understands that now. And I, you know, this past defense is there's going to be a lot of expectations and Delpit's a big part of it. I, I feel like with these first two guys, the answer is kind of, we want to get to the end of the year and say, okay, that's the guy for you. Right. Yeah. With Jed Wills. Okay. That's the guy at left tackle with, with Grant Delpit. Yes. That's, that's the guy with John Johnson at safety. Um, and everything else, else we have there, Richard LeCount, all those guys, that's those guys are all depth. This is Grant Delpit's job now at, at the end of the year. So is, is that fair to say, Mary Kay? Yeah, and, and the other, yes, absolutely 100%. That is what you want. When you pick those guys that high, you are drafting them to be your starters for now and in the future over at least like the next four or five years or so. Um, but in the same way that I compared Jed Wills to Tristan Wirfs. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, Bucks selected Antoine Winfield Jr., another safety, uh, right after the Browns selected Delpit that year. Uh, so, and that was Delpit was at 44 out of LSU, and Winfield was at 45. Well, Winfield has climbed to last year, he climbed to number two among qualifying safeties, according to PFF, with an 86.1 rating. So you can see that the bar is set really, really high. And who knows? I mean, maybe maybe Grant Delpit would have been right up there with him if he had played his entire rookie season, hadn't ruptured the Achilles, and did everything that they expected him to do. The Browns also passed that year on Alabama cornerback Trevon Diggs, who led the NFL with 11 interceptions last season. Now, having said that, he did not rank well. He didn't grade out well. I actually think that when you get 11 interceptions, that should count for a lot. And you should rank a lot higher than 45th at your position because takeaways are so enormously important. Uh, and, and I think that they, they should factor way more into a grade than, than they do, at least in this case. Um, but these are two players to watch as we go through the years and we evaluate Grant Delpit. How is he stacking up against these two defensive backs that they passed up? Okay, let's talk about these next two collectively um, because I think, I think it works that way. Jordan Elliott and Jacob Phillips. Which one of those two, I guess, do you pencil in as – it's probably Jordan Elliott, but what, I mean, is there a chance where Jacob Phillips is a starting linebacker this year? Or is, is Jordan Elliott the only guy of these two that you kind of pencil in right now as, as a top of the depth chart at his position? Or maybe not a top, but a guy who could start at that position. You know what? 
I think I actually think that um, that Jacob might have a better chance of, of landing a starting job. It's, it's really kind of hard to say because Jordan Elliott did not have a good 2021 season. Uh, he last year he ranked. He slipped to 136. I think that was last year with a 41.6 grade. Um, so yeah, in his last six games, he earned subpar PFF grades of 29.4, 31.2, 43.1, 44.6. So he, when you want to have a 70 grade, a 70 is a, a decent grade. If you're down in the twenties, thirties, forties, you're not really performing to the level that, you know, that is expected of a starter. So he's really got to pick it up. And he doesn't have, you know, you know, a big injury or anything in his background. Um, so, you know, the door is wide open for Jordan Elliott to, to have one of those starting spots. I think Perry on Winfrey will be a starter. And then, you know, someone else needs to claim the other starting job. But unless he really picks it up a ton, I'm not sure that he's going to be able to surpass a Taven Bryan, or maybe even a Tommy Togi. We don't know what Tommy Togi I can, can accomplish yet, but, um, but it almost seems like Jacob, uh, a fellow third round pick who was picked after Jordan, Jordan was at 88 and Jacob was at 97 in the third round. It almost seems to me like, like Jacob who had the torn biceps tendon last year, underwent surgery, came back at the end of the year, might have more upside potential than Jordan. Scott, what do you think? Man, I, I agree with Mary Kay that uh, defensive tackle is just kind of who knows. I mean, if they started off training camp and you had Taven Bride and Sheldon Day as your two guys in the middle, that would not shock me at all because I think you could look at any of those players there and think any of them could legitimately have a chance to get first team reps and, uh, and work their way into a, a starting role. Um, I've seen um, some websites kind of have Elliot as one of those guys uh, as, as a potential starter. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to put together a, a roster update for, you know, before they go to OTAs and I'm having trouble. Like how do you order these guys a defensive tackle? I, I really don't know because there's just a lot of young guys. There's a lot of guys who haven't lived up to their potential um, rookies. I just, you, you don't really know. I, but I would go with Elliot, I think, over Jacob Phillips. I just look at Anthony Walker being brought back, and I, I don't know if the Browns really know what they have in Jacob Phillips yet. He's had injury issues, we know, but um, that's the position he would play. And unless he claims in training camp, I he's going to be a rotational guy. So I would think uh, Elliot maybe has uh, an easier path to to getting that starting spot, at least you know, at least as of now. It feels like these are the two most like unknowns right now, not, not performance wise necessarily, but just like, where exactly does this guy go? Like, like if I were doing what you were trying to do, Scott, put together a, a pre OTA roster, like depth chart or whatever, I, I kind of be in that boat with both of these guys. I just don't know exactly where they fit there. Like we know Jedrick and Delpit are starters or close to it. Right. In, in Delpit's case, some guys we're going to get to, we kind of know where they all fit. But these are these are sort of the unknowns. 
Mary Kay, if we get to the end of the year and it becomes clear that, you know, Jacob Phillips has essentially just been replaced by Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa and whoever else emerges at linebacker and Jordan Elliott's been replaced by Perry and Winfrey and Taven Bryan and the Browns, I mean, they, they probably won't move on from either of these guys right away, but we, we kind of know that those guys aren't part of the future. Is that a disappointment or is it just sort of, you know what, it didn't work out, but Andrew Barry found a way to kind of turn the position and, and get better guys. No, I, th- I think it's a disappointment. I think you need to hit on your third round guys. I think you look at the draft in terms of first, second, and third round, you hope to get starters, whether they start right away or whether they start for you in two or three years. And that really basically is, uh, is what you need to do. So if, if neither of them are panning out, I would have to count that uh, as a significant disappointment. You can start uh, when, you know, when you get to the, maybe even the fourth round, fifth round, you know, if the guy works out fine, if not, you know, sometimes you're getting into flyer territory there, but in the third round, especially taking two guys like this in the third round, you, you have to hit on at least one of them. You know, I think it would be an enormous disappointment uh, if neither of them worked out. So, um, so yeah, they, they have to step it up. And I know they had pretty high hopes for Jacob Phillips heading into last year. So, um, and they were very, very disappointed when he tore that biceps in those joint practices against the giants. And um, so we'll have to see uh, how he's able to come back from that. Um, But yeah, at least one of these guys needs to turn into a starter. All right, let's take a break and then we'll hit the rest of this draft class here. And there are some very interesting names here in, in this last three. And we are back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. All right, this brings us to tight end Harrison Bryant. And again, an interesting name here because we've talked about David Njoku, how he's kind of been being given this opportunity to establish himself as the number one tight end. Uh, we know he's, he's on the franchise tag right now. Maybe they get an extension done, whatever. David Njoku is your number one tight end. After him, it's Harrison Bryant and then kind of just a lot of guys uh it's miller forestall i don't even know if fans remember him from last year but he was around nick gugamos uh who was i believe he was at rookie minicamp this this past weekend zaire mitchell payden i don't even know how to pronounce some of these names honestly marco santos silva who i wrote about today he's a converted basketball player though right like who knows what he's going to be scott it feels like this this number two tight end job is just like they're handing the number one tight end job to David Njoku, they're giving Harrison Bryant, they're basically gift wrapping this and saying, if you want this number two job, take it. It's there. Yeah. I mean, really, one of the guys you mentioned, and I know he sometimes gets lopped in with them is Johnny Stanton, who yeah, that's true. is technically a fullback, but that was really more Harrison Bryant's job than anybody. He was at the line or backfield a lot last season. I mean, he could end up starting 17 games, but that is going to tell the real story of his season he might only get maybe 20% of the snaps if they're really, if this offense really changes, you know, um, and gets away from even, you know, two tight ends on the field as much as they have over the past few years. So uh, yeah, he's, I think the reason I think they get rid of any Janovich maybe because they like what Harrison Bryant, his versatility, being able to, to, to move around and be in the backfield as much. I think I remember the joke of being in the backfield maybe once, last season it was so rare um but Bryant Bryant moved all over the place um so I think that's probably his role going forward and yeah other than him 
<laughs> him and the Joker. There's just a lot of who knows there. And they kept what they keep. They kept five tight ends on their initial 53 man roster two years ago. Um, I think Stephen was in that group. Um, Farrell Brown, I think was in that group. Yeah, it might've been. Um, and then last year it was three. And I think Carlson might've been on IR by then. Yeah, I can't remember what's preseason, but anyways, uh, they've, they've been going down and I think they're probably still going to go down a little more. If they only keep three on the roster this year, probably wouldn't surprise me if, if one of those, I mean, one of those is going to be Bryant. So again, his versatility, I think helps you out there. Mary Kay, there was a stretch there in his rookie year where it was kind of like, Whoa, Harrison Bryant, this, this guy's pretty good. That momentum kind of slowed. He's still been a, a good fit for this team. He's a little more of their inline tight end than, than maybe David and Joku is, but um, which is kind of what they want. I think when they have two tight ends is an inline guy. And, and then a guy that can play a little bit more as a receiver. So it's, it's been a little more, it hasn't been quite as out there with him catching touchdowns and, and putting up big reception numbers, but there have still been some flashes with him. Yeah. Here's the thing that I think uh, Harrison Bryant does really well. And he has done well over his first two seasons. And that is, catch touchdown passes. He only had 24 receptions as a rookie, but three TDs. He only had 21 receptions last year, but again, three TDs. So he's catching a touchdown every seventh or eighth catch, which of course you would expect that to happen for a tight end who's, you know, down in the red zone. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what he's there for. But, um, but the fact that he does have a nose for catching uh, a tight end pass, I think will serve him well. One of the reasons why I think he only got 28 targets last year, which I was pretty surprised about that. He's a draft pick and you thought that he was going to take that step up. Uh, but one of the things I, I believe happened last year is they made a promise. They made a commitment they, that they were going to try to make something of Austin Hooper and salvage what was uh, an underwhelming first season for him in a Browns uniform. So they went to him, they went to his agent and they promised him that he was going to get a lot more targets and that he was going to be way more involved in the passing game. And if you guys remember in training camp and at the beginning of, you know, an off season preseason, Kevin Stefanski stated that unequivocally, we are going to get Austin Hooper more involved in the offense. And they tried, they did try to do that, but it did not work out for one reason or another. And he spent so much time trying to work on his chemistry with Baker Mayfield. They hung out together. They became friends. It just didn't work out. I mean, those guys never had chemistry. It was just like Odell and Baker light. I mean, it just, it just didn't work. So um, while they were spent all that time getting the ball into Austin Hooper's hands, it hurt the development, in my opinion, of Harrison Bryant. He did not get the reps that he needed while they worked on that. So they rectified that this year. They actually just went ahead and terminated the contract of Austin Hooper. And, uh, and now the door is open for Harrison Bryant to try to live up to some of his potential in a Browns uniform. And now, as of right now, he is the second tight end. So behind David Njoku. So he has the chance. The other, the other key factor here is that he will be having the ball thrown to him by Deshaun Watson instead of Baker Mayfield, instead of an injured Baker Mayfield. So I think it's going to go a lot better for him once Deshaun Watson is in uniform and getting his mojo down. Uh, I still think they probably will play a number of two tight end sets. I think they're going to mix it up a lot. 
I mean, this is still Cleveland and, you know, you're still going to have weather issues and, and whatnot, and the receivers are young. So I, I think that they're thinking globally about their pass catchers. And I think that Harrison Bryant uh, will be one to get more targets this year. All right. So how about this? I just found this on pro football reference where you can look at every single touchdown a player scored and they break it down for you. So six touchdowns, two go ahead, touchdowns, two tying touchdowns. So Mr. Clutch here for Harrison Bryant, is he going to be like that? But Mr. Fourth quarter here for the Browns this year and, and catch some, I mean, I'm even looking at the list uh, against Washington. He caught a touchdown that gave him the lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, he caught, the one from Nick Mullins that gave the Browns the lead against the Raiders. I don't know. We might have something here. Keep yeah, away I mean, from those onside kicks. <laughs> yeah. Had a little true. issue with those. That's true. Yeah, that's true. But he does. He does catch those touchdown passes, and that's what you need to do. And if you can do that, I think there's a premium placed on that. And I'm sure Deshaun Watson will appreciate a guy who can score the football most of the time. Uh, you put him in those clutch-type situations. So we'll see how it goes. All right, Nick Harris, um, I guess here's how, here's how I'll ask this question. If Nick Harris is not the starting center, is, is that okay? Like if it's Ethan Posick or somebody else, Dawson Deaton, Mary Kay, is it? I mean, we just, we just kind of just talked about this with the third round picks, but Nick Harris is a fifth rounder. Maybe the plan at some point was for him to take over, but if it doesn't happen, as long as somebody fills that role, is, was this a bad pick or is, is it just fine? Is it just something that didn't work out? Just fine. It's absolutely just fine. Once you get to the fifth round, it's a bonus if, uh, if the player contributes in a significant way. And it's uh, a real bonanza if he becomes a starter for you. So if Nick Harris becomes the starting center for the Cleveland Browns, that will have been a tremendous pick for Andrew Barry uh, and his personnel department. So, you know, if JC Treader had not tested positive for COVID, who knows where this thing would have gone. He did not get an opportunity to play against Green Bay on Christmas day. Nick Harris stepped in and did a really nice job. Uh, enough, of, enough of a great job that they felt like they could part ways with JC Treader, who is uh, not only an Iron Man, but graded out, I think is like the number two center yeah, he was the number two center amongst qualifiers per PFF in 2021. So um, Harris is going to have, he's got a, a large pair of shoes to fill. And, uh, you know, one game doesn't tell you all you need to know. So he's going to have to be consistent, show he can do it. And as you mentioned, they signed Ethan Posich. I think that's how you say it. Uh, a former starter in Seattle. He has started 38 of 55 games. So he's got a lot of starts under his belt, way more than Nick Harris. So let's see, you know, how it goes in training camp. If, um, you know, if Nick isn't cutting it, then, then Ethan could end up being the starter. Uh, and if nothing else, those guys will have a pretty good battle. Yeah, Scott. I mean, I, I like the idea of, you know, you pick Nick Harris, you've kind of developed him, given that shot, but if, if it doesn't happen, okay. I, I mean, they've kind of hedged a little bit here and made sure that they're covered just in case. Yeah, but I got to think that they would not have gotten rid of Treader without thinking that Nick Harris is definitely the guy. Because remember, they, they, didn't, they didn't add anybody else for a while. It's not like they brought in uh, people to compete and then got rid of Treader. It was, it was Nick Harris. And I think Stefanski was even asked after that. It's like, is Nick Harris the guy? And they said, well, it certainly looks that way. 
um, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> but I would think that he, yeah, he's probably going to be the guy first team uh, reps when we do see them getting 11 on 11. And, you know, I don't know how you make that move without thinking that he is ready to step in. You certainly don't go into the draft thinking, well, we'll just pick up Dawson Deaton in the seventh round and, and uh, we, we should be good between him and Harris. No, I think, I think they like what they've seen in, in Harris. And it's not all just that, you know, the green Bay game. It's, it's what they see in practice. It's what they saw in the preseason. It's, it's all that stuff. And I'm sure they're confident. A good development test here, you know, bring a guy in, you, you kind of have a plan for him. You know, JC Treader is going to be your guy for a couple of years and then, uh, you know, put him under Bill Callahan. This is a good development test, I think, for this organization. Um, but at the same time, if it, if it doesn't work, I, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world. So the last one, and this is, this is, might be the most interesting one, Donovan Peoples-Jones, because like we talked about with Harrison Bryant, he's kind of getting handed that number two tight end job. But more importantly, Donovan Peoples-Jones right now, that this is kind of your show as, as the number two guy. So Mary Kay, what is a reasonable expectation here for Donovan Peoples-Jones in 2022? Well, I think some of it will depend on how David Bell comes along. We've heard, uh, you know, from the, the personnel guys and from the coaches that David Bell can play inside and out. Now his initial role, I believe, will be as the slot receiver in in three receiver sets or however they line it up when it, when you have a need for the slot guy, uh, that's basically what his primary or first responsibility will be. But if he shows that he can play outside and he's the best receiver on the field after Amari Cooper, then chances are there'll be times when it's Amari and David, and then whatever else you decide to throw out there. But this is a tremendous opportunity for Donovan Peoples Jones to step up into the number two receiver role because he compliments Amari Cooper. Well, Amari Cooper gives you the, you know, the good downfield threat, the, you know, the speedy guy, the route runner, the the good hands can do anything. Uh, Donovan Peoples Jones is sort of your, you know, your sort of big, strong, go up and win the contested ball guy, not necessarily your, you know, blazing speed guy. Um, And then, in those types of situations, if you had those two guys on the outside and David Bell as your slot receiver, you know, that's, that's not too bad, depending on how David Bell comes up the learning curve. Uh, and then when you talk about Anthony Schwartz, there may be times when you have a matchup you want to exploit from a speed standpoint, where you put Amari and Anthony on the field in two receiver sets or in three, you put those guys and David Bell inside. But it's really a chance for Donovan Peoples-Jones to say, hey, look at me. I should be out there. Uh, I need to be the number two receiver. And there's a lot more to me than, you know, than I was able to show last year. Like every single other pass catcher on the Cleveland Browns last year, he did not fare well. And as they went along through the season and the worst Baker Mayfield got, the worst everybody else got, including Donovan Peoples-Jones. He was dropping passes that we didn't see him pass, uh, that we didn't see him drop previously. Uh, he just was not uh, as good as I think he can be. He wasn't certainly wasn't what we saw in training camp when he and training camp is training camp. But I mean, it looked like he was ready to really step up and have a good season. So this is his chance. This is his chance to to claim that spot. And if he does, that's a tremendous pick to get that in the sixth round. 
Scott, there are days and days of podcasts from that training camp recorded in, in the back of, of my little Subaru, uh, praising Donovan Peoples-Jones for, yes. for the work he did. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't live up to all that. <laughs> he didn't. I mean, every day was just some sort of highlight reel <laughs> catch. You know, it was just pretty insane. Uh, he clearly won training camp. But I mean, he, I think he just got uh, sucked up in the, the passing games futility last year. I mean, I, I've written and talked about how as a rookie, he ranked second out of any, everybody who had less than 50 catches. Cause remember he didn't get a lot of passes thrown his way as a rookie, everybody 50 catches unless he was second in DVOA, which is the efficiency metric, which if you're catching a lot of first downs, if you're catching touchdowns, you're helping move the ball. You're going to be great in that. Um, and he was great in that last season. He still, he was 18th in the entire league last year, best on the Browns, despite everything that was going on around him, he still was an efficient guy. Um, and again, to get that out of your six round pick, that's great. Uh, I just, I can't help thinking like, what would have happened if OBJ doesn't get hurt two years ago? What would have happened if OBJ made it through all last season? What would Donovan Peoples Jones be today? Would he be somebody that we talked about as being full of potential? Um, how many opportunities would he have really gotten, but it worked out for him. And, I mean, his rookie year, it's like everything he caught was big and important and impactful. And uh, last year, there weren't as many of those types of catches to go around, but I still thought he was he was the best of what they had um, from a production standpoint. And yeah, now it's it's another chance to take another step. If, if you're the number two guy in this team and you have what everybody assumes will be a, a better quarterback leading a better passing game, could be a breakout year for DPJ and that just that certainly makes this entire draft certainly makes everybody Andrew Barry's ever picked look better because that guy in the sixth round is blowing up for you. And it just, that carries over. I was looking up the stats again from, from last year. Did he have three or four touchdown catches last year, Donovan? Do you guys have those? Uh, three. I've got pro football reference. Open oh, here. he's got three. Okay. Is that right? So, um, so once again, he did not have, uh, a million opportunities, but he's just like with Harrison Bryant, he's somebody that, that can catch the touchdown pass for you. And I think that that's going to serve him very, very well when he plays with Deshaun Watson. I, I think that, I think Deshaun Watson is going to like a big receiver like that. He's going to know where to put the ball, uh, you know, that, that only he can go get it. Or if, if not only he can go get it, if it's going to be a contested ball that, uh, that he believes Donovan can win it. Uh, and I, I think he's going to have a much better year this year. Well, and we've generally seen too, when you think of the kind of the passing game, when it was at his best, when you think of those games, um, Tennessee, uh, the, uh, the Cincinnati game this year, some of those games, it's like, okay, that kind of went hand in hand with Donovan having big games and, and Baker Mayfield when, when he was successful was able to take advantage of Donovan getting down the field. Um, and, and making plays. And even if he's not this super burner, he can get down the field. And I think Deshaun Watson is going to enjoy that. And Mary Kay, you've mentioned this. It's going to help if he doesn't have to go against the other team's number one corner all the time. He's sort of, because of Odell Beckham's injury issues, he's sort of been thrown into that number one receiver fire. Uh, uh, and, and he probably just hasn't quite been ready for that much yet. So he's going to kind of get to slide back into that number two role. Absolutely. And I think that's going to be key because when you get those mismatches with him against the second best corner, I think he really will shine. And there will be times where he'll be 
up against also, you know, a smaller slider guy. And, and I think that's where his size will really come in handy. Uh, and I, I just think he needs to kind of almost get his confidence and his swagger back a little bit. And I think he'll do that with Deshaun. And, um, and, you know, I mean, I, I can see routes where you're, uh, where you're throwing Anthony Schwartz and, and Donovan Peoples Jones, uh, you know, both, both downfield. And, you know, I think that that could create some mismatches and some opportunities for Donovan. Uh, so yeah, I think just like all the other pass catchers on this team, I think there will be, uh, plenty to go around. And I do think we've talked about how beneficial maybe some of the OTA stuff and and the individual workout stuff is. I do think he's a guy that would benefit if he's, if he's one of the guys going to the Bahamas, I think he's a guy that can benefit from that relationship with Deshaun just kind of growing and and those two getting as, as much work together as possible before before training camp. And then of course the season. Yes. And I think he is supposed to be, I mean, from what I understand, everybody is going to the Bahamas on that offense, except for uh, a couple of guys were trying to get passports really quickly. And um, I mean, knowing the Browns and knowing all the connections that they have, I'm sure (laughs) they'll probably have those passports in hand (laughs) just as they step onto the private jet. But um but yeah, so he's supposed to be one of them, and uh, and I think he will, and they'll all benefit from that. And never pass up a free trip to the Bahamas. If somebody's willing to pay for you to go to the Bahamas, go. That's my only uh, advice that I have to offer here. Now, is he only paying get... for for transportation? Is he paying for food and yes, like he's food. covering everything? Sounds like I mean, it sounded like the whole yes. all expenses paid. Yes, he's paying for accommodations. He's paying for. Uh, they're, they're going to have breakfast as a group, then they're going to go work out. And then he's paying for the private group dinners and the accommodations and the chartered flight. I mean, Lyman alone eating that's wow. <laughs> Maybe they yep. weren't invited. Maybe secretly they, they oh, no. <laughs> they're, they're going, it'll probably just be a big buffet. <laughs> Well, it's good. Listen, it's good to have $230 million guaranteed yeah. coming your way. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We're going to continue to look at these draft classes throughout the week. As I mentioned, we'll do a big draft of all of Andrew Barry's picks at the end of the week. So make sure you're subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk feed on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and also make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. Get info and get signed up. Mary Kay and Scott, I'll talk to you later. <laughs>